that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means. No Doug Lane Reese today. He is en route to Indianapolis. So actually, probably hasn't left yet. We're recording this Monday morning. He doesn't get there quite that early, but he is going to the national championship game. We will have some things to talk about about that on Tuesday's Buckeye Talk, I believe. But on this Monday, it is an episode of Buckeye Football Futures. We are looking back at the now we think completed Ohio State 2022 recruiting class, although a couple signings still have not come in. But some activity happened over the weekend. Some more commitments came in that kind of round things out. We wanted to touch on each of those guys and then kind of look ahead, uh, reanalyze what we think this means, how what perspective it gives us for this 2022 class, and then start looking ahead to 2023 because recruiting never stops. And Ohio State also has some commitments already in for that class and kind of give everybody a sense of the direction we think this is going to take. But uh, Stephen, three commitments in the past week for this class of 2021. And although one of them was a guy who have, as we've hinted, has been in the fold for a while. They just hadn't made it official yet. And that was Hero Canoe, um, the uh, from California by way of Germany or Germany by way of California. Is it Germany? Yes. That's right, right. And uh, as well as Omari Abor, another defensive lineman, and Carson Hinsman, an offensive lineman. So let's go one by one down this list. Abor was the first one to jump on last week as far as like a public commitment. Tell people about him, what he brings to Ohio State. Yeah, the number 38 player in the country, the number four edge rusher in the country. And this one is, I think, the trickiest of the three. No, I think I know it's the trickiest of the three because he is committed, yes, and it means absolutely nothing right now. In a world where commitments technically don't mean anything until you sign a piece of paper, this one really means nothing until you sign a piece of paper. It's just him publicly acknowledging that Ohio State is in the lead because he's not signed and he is still planning on taking some visits to some schools in the South. And so this is going to be a long ride between you know Sunday when he committed, the last Sunday when he committed, and February 2nd when he can actually sign a piece of paper. So this has gone from, hey, can Ohio State take the lead in the recruitment to can Ohio State do enough to keep anybody else from taking the lead in this recruitment for the next couple of weeks here. And so that's a one to keep an eye on more than anything else of whether or not this commitment actually turns into him coming here. But if he does come here, that's another top 50 recruit, you know, a year after you just got two five-star defensive ends along with, you know, Kenyatta Jackson, who's the top 100 defensive end. That's a pretty good two deep when you're looking, you know, a year from now or two years from now when these guys are upperclassmen and the clear guys lead in that room. That's a quality two deep to try to keep Larry Johnson around a little bit longer. So it starts there. So Abor is a, as you said, a top 40 national recruit. He's out of Duncanville, Texas, 6'4", 240. What kind of comparison would you make on the sort of prospect he projects to be? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, 247 Sports has compared him to Bradley Chubb. He's not as – he's six he's 6'4", 240, but he's not like as – he's not going to wow you with his size and with his get-off and with his raw athleticism the way you've seen some other, you know, top 40 recruits who are defensive ends do in the past. It's a little bit more technique, you know, based. It's – 
how much does his skill level, you know, rise as regardless of what school he ends up at, even if it's Ohio State or if somebody else takes the lead here, it's for him, it's going to be a lot more technique based and skill based and how great is he with his hands and how great is he able to jump the snap and those type of things. It's not a, a necessarily as much natural elite athleticism there, which isn't a bad thing. Everybody can't beat Chase Young with the get off. That's that's, a, that's what makes him a generational talent. Some people have to be more skill based. And I think that's where he lies more on that side of the spectrum than anything else. So is that I mean, that's why he's a top 40 recruit, you think, just because of the the the, the skill that's been demonstrated so far? Yeah, so far. And then there's still room to go with it. That's the interesting thing is when you've got a guy who's already highly skilled and you still think he can get better at it. So let's just stay on the defensive line then and and mm. and also get Hero Canoe in here. And this is a guy that really came into focus, I thought, over the summer, was a guy that camped at Ohio State and was really his his recruitment really started to kind of pick up there, not just with Ohio State, but nationally seemed to be taking off around the same time. And it seemed like Larry Johnson at the time made a pretty big impression on him. Yeah, he loves Larry Johnson. He loves the way he teaches, which tends to happen a lot when guys get a chance to actually work with him. They see, one, how much more detailed it is in other places in the country, but more importantly, how much different it is. And Larry just has a very different approach to how he does things. It's, it is, which is why Omari Abor kind of fits here if he does say here, because it is more, I don't care what your level of raw athleticism is. You got to learn how to use your hands. You got to learn all these techniques. You Because if you learn all this, you can get to the NFL and you can be a defensive rookie of the year and you can be an all pro copper guy in year one, as we've seen in the past with guys. But Hero Canoe, 6'5", 293 in every bit of it. That is a big dude who can move. And when you when you can move the way he can move as a big dude, that's a scary thing to think about, especially when you're talking about in the interior. I mean, think of what they've had in the past. You know, Haskell Garrett was a pretty big dude who could move. Tommy Tokia, a pretty big dude who can move. You know, D- Davon Hamilton, a pretty big dude who can move. And that's it's 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 three tech and nose tackle heaven. For Larry Johnson, when you've got guys in there who can move around like that and almost move and have a little bit of bend the way that you see defensive ends do. And so, yeah, he felt it. He, he got offered in the spring before he got a chance to get on campus, but it really started to pick up when he came on campus in June for a one day camp. And the, the, the love for Larry Johnson kind of won out in this battle. I think what helped is maybe Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma because there was a time when it felt like Oklahoma might be able to make a push there. But with that happening, I think it opened the door even more for Ohio State to to walk into there. But yes, he actually has been committed for a month and a half now, signed during the early signing period in December, but wanted to be a silent commit because, I mean, these are teenagers and they get to choose the way they want to announce to the world what school they're going to. And so that's all this was, was, you know, him putting it off into the All-American Bowl. Unfortunately, he caught COVID, so he couldn't actually be at the event. He was at the hotel of the event and had to do it on Zoom, which really sucks, but because um, I think he had some family members there with him who wanted to enjoy that with him. But yes, he's been a silent commit for a month and now he is a uh, Commit number 21, but signee number 19. You mentioned before the 247 sports comparison, the one for him, Cam Hayward. So that's interesting. What I think, though, might make that like I see these comparisons. They do one for everybody or everybody that they do a write up on. And I appreciate that that's a very difficult thing to try to do sometimes is to pinpoint who this person reminds you of five six years from now that it's a it's it's a kind of a bizarre thing almost to try to do I think it's especially tough for him because he is still very early in his football life 
like he's only played for a couple of years, right? And when you watched him at camp, like how how raw does he still seem? And is this someone because of that that you're not looking at maybe a year one impact like you got from some of the freshman defensive interior guys this year? Uh, you know, Tyreek Williams obviously being the best scenario, best case of that because obviously Mike Hall didn't quite have that same impact. Is he someone that maybe needs to be thought of more as like a year three guy before he's really making a big impact? I don't know if he has to be quite a year three guy since he's been in America for a little bit, but I do think watching him over the summer, it's he's raw enough to where if you're not really paying attention, you don't realize the, the talent that he has. It's very easy to overlook him because, you know, Larry Johnson might have to repeat himself a couple of times on how he's supposed to do certain things. He's still trying to learn in the game. It's it's the same with every European kid when they, they they have some understanding of it that there's a raw talent there, but there's still the the X's and O's parts that has to catch up a little bit there. So I, I I wouldn't say year three, but I do think that this year, especially since I'm pretty sure he's not an early enrollee, this is going to be a learning year for him. And next spring, I, but I do think there is an opportunity for him to use next season to learn and then next spring when we go out there i wouldn't be shocked if he's in the two deep or you know i mean with defensive tackle it's three deep here because he likes to play six but i wouldn't be surprised if we're expecting him to play significant snaps in 2023 but i wouldn't put that on the table in 2022 yeah i i, I see what you're saying i i could see him i guess maybe being at the, the lower end of the rotation and anything yeah. beyond that would maybe be a surprise as far as even 2023 just i mean a guy who hasn't played this much football and he's not early enrolling. Uh, he's got maybe just the biggest gap to close as a as a freshman am- among this group. That's not me saying he won't be a good player in the long run. It's just as far as if we're talking specifically about how quickly it would come together. Um, I think for it to come together quicker than that would be a little bit of a, a surprise at this stage. And then uh, our, our third guy, uh, Carson Hensman, which is also one that has kind of been dangling out there for a little while uh, offensive lineman from Wisconsin but there was drama as up really until the day of the announcement right as to who he was going to take yeah it, it, this was basically do I want to stay home or am I ready to leave and it's, you know and he was ready to leave it, it's it's that simple sometimes and then of course you know 24 hours after he says I'm ready to leave you know his coach gets you know, for quote unquote fired, but every single offensive lineman has come out publicly at this point and said, they're not going anywhere. They're not, you know, committed to one coach. I I had been talking to somebody around him before he even said it publicly down there in San Antonio about that idea of like, Hey, does this change anything? And it's like, no, he's not going anywhere. We're committed to the program. You know, this happens. Assistant coaches leave all the time. I mean, he might not be the last person in this 2022 class who's assistant coach that he, that had been recruiting him for the past couple of years won't even be here by the time they get on campus. So this, they're committed today and they're committed to the program. Don't be worried about anything. His recruitment is over. He'll be signing on February 2nd. He is the number 134 player, the number six interior offensive lineman with this is another case of a versatile guy who can probably end up playing anywhere from tackle to you know guard, depending on how his development and physical development goes. Yeah, 6'4", 280. Um, so he's got to grow a little bit, but he's going to yes. stay on the offensive interior long term. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Six four two two eighty is not. You can't play. You can't play offensive line in the Big Ten. That's six four two eighty. Obviously, this is. But the, there's no way there was even if he was a five. There, he's not a five star recruit. So there's no pair. There's no Paris Johnson or Donovan Jackson where we can have a quick conversation about. Hey, could he start in year one? No, 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 no. He's this is about physical development. Really, over the next 
two years and then come talk to me in two seasons in 2024 and we can start talking about is he going to be on the field or not. So that brings us up to with Canoe already being signed, it's 19 signees or 18 on signing day, now 19, or I should say signing week, uh, 19 now. And then the other two being Hensman. And then if Omari Abor ends up sticking, that will be 21. And we think that is the cap of this class. And it almost might have to be just where they are on scholarship numbers. Yeah, obviously, Kristen Miller, the number 107 player, the number 19 defensive lineman is out there. And Ohio State is putting up the best fight they can against, you know, the likes of Georgia. I, I just don't see it happening for them. And I don't know if it necessarily has to happen for them. They've got four defensive linemen who are all in the you know top 150 in this recruiting class. And then you pairing that with last year's class where – you had two five stars, another top 50 recruit, Mike Hall, and then Talik Williams, who has clearly outplayed that 166 ranking that he was. So I don't know if you necessarily need to, you know, if you don't get Kristen Miller, I don't know if it's a, you know, a, a loss. It'd be a great bonus because he's a really good football player, but I'm not going to sit here and say it's a failure if you don't add Kristen Miller to what is already looking like a really good two, two deep for this defensive line over the next couple of years here. So that, that's one to keep an eye on. He'll decide on February 2nd where he's going. I don't see him not going to Georgia, but that's just like my own thoughts about that situation based on his personality and talking to him in the past. Um, but it would also, yes. I mean, what are they at? 87 scholarship guys right now. I mean, I, you don't have that much more room to keep adding guys at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ohio State, that's without hearing some decisions on people like Seven Banks mm-hmm. and Zach Harrison and Dewan Jones. There's a handful of guys who could go either way, even some guys who we think may not be coming back, but they haven't said it publicly. So you have to keep counting them on the scholarship thing for now. Um, that won't really be a problem until the fall. It may not be actually a problem at all, but that's just where things stand. And if people want to track that, we have a handy scholarship tracker, which I've already reset for 2022. So it tells you where they are, a breakdown of each class, all that stuff. And you can find that on cleveland.com. If you just do a search for Ohio State Scholarship Tracker, cleveland.com, you can uh, you find that anytime. Bookmark it. We update it uh, constantly. So we're going to take a break there, a quick one. Stay with us because we're going to come back and – Talk about how these last commitments, whether they reset or change how we think about this 2022 signing class. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. So you already mentioned Kristen Miller, who you are skeptical is going to sign with Ohio State. And you have uh, expressed at least there needs to be some cautious you call it cautious optimism or hopeful pessimism that Omari Abor ends up signing with Ohio state, that it's at least still out there that, that, that someone will be able to, to pry him away. I had some questions about defensive line recruiting for this class uh, before they kind of finished with this flourish. How much does this change in your opinion, how that issue was addressed for this class? If what, if, um, Hero Canoe is the only person that they're adding to what they already got with defensive line in this group. I still think, um, you mean adding him alongside like the two guys who signed in the early period? Yes, adding him to the to the people who have already signed. Yes, I'm still fine with it. It's 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 a quality class. That's you know, three top 105 players. I think Larry Johnson did his job. It just with him it, with this class, I think, and I do think some of it is a, a product of you know. 
recruiting through a pandemic. You know, it's a lot of national guys. These aren't in-state recruits. There's no Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall who are just right down the street from you who commit really, really early in the process. But then also, I mean, JT Tuimaloal literally took up to the buzzer, man. And you can't, that's got to get all your attention. And he's showing you already why that's got to get all your attention. I think that put Larry behind the eight ball a little bit. And so he had to play a little bit of catch up here to get some of these guys. And so given the timeline of really, I mean, he got all these guys within a month. If you really think about it, it's, you know, Kenyatta was kind of early, like early October. You got Caden Curry literally the day before signing day. And then you probably got here and Kiro Canoe also signed around that time. So you got him then. So really, you were just waiting on Amore Abor, who kept putting it off and kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And it seemed like that momentum was heading towards Ohio State for a while now. He just didn't, you know, pull the trigger for a while there. So I, I, I think Larry did a good job. I think of and to the point of this class, I think there's some people who did their job and there's some people who didn't. Larry belongs in the I did my job category, even if it didn't always look too well when you were looking at the defensive line commits in like September. I think I agree with that. They hit such a home run in 2021. I hate to use that term, especially because Ryan Day just used it when he was talking about the the corners from 2021, (laughs) but they really nailed 2021 on the defensive line between, I mean, getting both Sawyer and Tui Maloal and Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall, who we still really haven't seen. I mean, that, that four for four is impressive. Um, That's like, I was going to say it's like hitting for the cycle, but hitting for the cycle is like an anomaly. That's like hitting. Maybe you may have hit four home runs in that game to, to cross, uh, to cross my analogies with another sport. So I don't think that put the pressure on 2022 that you had to land. Now, obviously they would have taken, you know, somebody higher if, if, or if, something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, if that person was interested and they thought that was the right fit, but you didn't have to land like major, major, no doubt generational talent in this class in order to save yourself from the kind of issue that we're seeing potentially let's talk about it on the offensive line where Carson Hensman looks like he's a pretty solid prospect doesn't help you solve who's going to start at left tackle in 2023 though. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. This year's defensive line class. It feels like it complements what you did in the defensive line class in 2021. This year's offensive line recruiting doesn't complement at all because they're both the only real difference is the 2021 class has Donovan Jackson, who, as we've discussed plenty of times, that kid's in Ohio. He's from Ohio. His dad just got a job in Texas. So, like, yeah, he's supposed to come here. You're supposed to get a kid like that. I don't care how you know highly rated he is and how many SEC schools are coming after him. And so if you take him out of the equation, they're the same class. There's no – the ceiling is – in the four are almost touching each other in both of these classes. And that's not a good thing. The ceiling for the 2021 defensive line class is through the roof. We all know that. And Talik Williams is very much raised the floor this year, this floor for the 2022 defensive line class. It's pretty high already. And that we, I think we think some of these guys might outplay their rankings. Like guys like Caden Curry, who's like a top 70 recruit might end up being a guy who was actually probably should have been rated as a five-star had he been living in Texas doing what he was doing over there in Indiana. So it, they complement each other. The offensive line recruiting hasn't been doing that for the last couple of cycles here, which puts us in a situation now where, you know, it looks like Justin Fry is going to be the new, you know, assistant coach. 
Yeah, and we're recording this on Monday morning where that seems imminent that it's going to happen. We've already talked about that a, a couple times on the pod. But, um, you know, I think he has an interesting job here this next year. 2022 looks like it's going to be pretty solid on the offensive line, right? I mean, you've got Paris Johnson mm-hmm. at, at left tackle. you got Whipler back in the middle. You've got some combination of, of Jacks, Donovan Jackson and Harry Miller and Matt Jones at the two guard spots. And then you potentially have Dewan Jones at right tackle, or if not, you've got some other solution that you can push there. I, I still think he probably comes back, but we'll see. So you are pretty set for 2022, but if Paris Johnson leaves and Dewan Jones leaves for 2023, that's where I still see like, that looks like maybe like the one really big, like, liability for lack of a better term for 2023 on an otherwise stacked team. And I would kind of, I wrote a thing for the site this morning, kind of saying like, you know, you it's too late to fix it with recruiting now. Like you're not going to go sign a left tackle in 2023. That's going to start in 2023. Like that just doesn't really happen. It's, it's, that's a true anomaly to have somebody you can get that is that good. So, and you also, it's very hard to like assume that you'll be able to get, a person of that caliber in the transfer portal. So Josh Fryer's got a lot of development. I'm sorry, Justin Fry has a lot of, I'm going to do that a couple of times. Probably the, the names are too similar. It's like a Marvis and Harrison thing. Uh, Justin Fry has a lot of development to do to find his 2023 left tackle. I think it's got to probably start this spring. We're straying from recruiting a little bit, but it's because of what didn't happen in recruiting that you're kind of looking at this, you know, Tony offered, came back in the second year and got the solution. And when they had a cornerback recruiting lull, they had what they got in 2021. They look pretty strong there in 2020 now on the field next season. And that just hasn't happened that you can look ahead two years and see where it might still be an issue at left tackle. And, and that's the difference there is because you just named two skill positions because they're skill positions that can almost solve that immediately because you can just have like a random freshman who just comes in automatically and like Denzel Burke fixed the cornerback recruiting because he was ready to play this year. We probably would have been having to wait another year to get some quality cornerback play had that not happened. Travion Henderson is, I mean, he did exactly what everybody thought he was going to do. So you fixed it immediately. You, you're right. It's, it's rare, very rare to have a true freshman come in and start on the offensive line. So it, it, you can't just fix it tomorrow. You either got to go find somebody in a transfer portal or you're just going to have to deal with the fact that we're going to be like, who are your starting tackles for the next two years while some of these younger guys develop? And I think they can figure some things out at right tackle. I think there are some options there that can present themselves. I think it's easier to take someone who is a tweener and maybe would be a better fit at guard, but you can make them a right tackle easier. I mean, could Tegra Shibola end up being your starting right tackle? Ben Christman. Um, there's other guys. I mean, Josh Fryer could still be around. Enoch Vamahi has been playing some like second string left tackle. There are a lot of guys. I just feel like you need like a, a legit guy at left. And I, I, that's what it just kind of escapes me right now, who that's going to be. And it's potentially a, a, a an issue, but, but one that they have, you know, still a couple of years to, to try to address. Overall, now that they're up to those 19 commitments, does it change um, you know, how you grade this this class overall? Because the canoe thing we already knew, right? This doesn't really change a lot because, as we just said, Hensman doesn't seem to be like a, a pivotal guy for this class. Canoe, we are already kind of factoring into how we graded the class, and we don't know for sure that uh, Omar Abor is actually going to be in the class. Yeah, not really. 
I still think the best way to describe this class is it's a really good class. I mean, it's over the 300 point threshold. It's the number four class in the country. And the only classes better than it are all in the SEC, Texas A&M, Georgia and Alabama. It's a really good class. It just didn't maximize its potential. It's, it's I mean, a year ago at this time, we're sitting on a pod while Quinn Ewers is committing and then Caleb Burton commits two days later and we're having a discussion of like, can this be even better than the 2021 class? And it missed that mark. It missed out on some really key guys at some really key positions. And so, yes, you can celebrate them for getting TJ Hicks, who lives an hour and a half from you, and Devin, Devin Brown. That's obviously – but. The, and, and the four wide receivers, but the, the quarterback and wide receiver recruiting is not going to drop off anytime soon, but you can celebrate them for getting Kenyatta Jackson, the Kenny Curry and hero can you can celebrate that, but you also have to say it while also, you know, criticizing the fact that you didn't get Xavier Wampa. You didn't get uh, uh, Zion branch. You didn't get Damani Jackson, who at least for a small minute in time, it seemed like the momentum was hitting this way. You didn't hold on to James Singletary and Terrence Brooks. Both of those things can be true. Yeah, I'm trying to think back, and I know we just talked about this on the pod. I think we talked about it on either the signing day pod. I think it was the one that we did with Doug, so actually on signing day. Like, when was the last time that they didn't win or have to win a national battle for a top 50 prospect? And it depends on how you look at Devin Brown because, yeah, I mean, he's a a, a major prospect at quarterback. I'm not I'm not sneezing on that, but it's like – there's also a little bit of a Ryan day factor there that when you're, you know, the source and technically he's not a consensus top 50 prospect. So I'm just looking back like other years, it's, it's all Ohio guys in this class. The ones that they got that are top 50 guys. And I, I, I'm a little bit torn because on one hand you, you have to get those, you, you can't let those guys get away. And so it's not like there's no pressure to land those. You can't let someone come in and and pilfer those guys and we're seeing on the horizon where that is already kind of started to happen right but you mm-hmm. also i think separate yourself at the national level by being able to go get i mean we just saw in 2021 jt to um emeka egbuka donovan jackson although as you said there yeah i have connections there but you know trevion henderson uh kyle mccord jacalyn johnson like just all of the those are all the, all those guys were top 50 guys and in this class it's just like I said, Brown isn't even technically a consensus top 50 guy in the two, four, seven rankings, everybody else that they did land Hicks styles. And I guess those are the only other two top 50 guys, right. We're, we're Ohio guys. Um, that, so I feel like that's something that we, as we look at what they're putting together for 2023, and we're going to talk about more about that in a minute, but just in general, that would seem to be something as a staff that you kind of have to course correct on a little bit, right. You've got to, You've got to find a way, especially at positions of need, to to win that in 2023, I would think. Yeah, it's time to go win, go out. And 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 where you can win at obviously has changed as we've seen some coaching movement over this offseason. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, last year it seemed like they were, you know, winning national battles didn't seem like it was that hard to do, even if some, some of these guys made you wait more than others. And uh, – it's great that you got CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, but it's more of a conversation if you don't get CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, especially Styles because he lives 15 minutes from you. But yeah, it, it, this is this 2023 class is going to be a, a go out and win some battles. 
every, almost every position that that hasn't been doing it because you're expecting Brian Hartline to bring in some level of high level receivers. You're expecting them to go get a high level quarterback because they've just done that. And at this point, really, with Tony Alford, you're expecting them to land a high level running back. The question is, can they do it on the offensive line? I think part of if they're able to do it on the defensive line or not is how is how much these kids believe Larry Johnson's still going to be here. And then and then in the secondary, it's like, is Kerry Combs still here or not? Because that might change your expectations and what's actually possible in this class. And I know we'll touch on a lot of this after the break, but just to bring this up. A.J. Harris was supposed to be making his decision as you guys are listening to this on Tuesday. That's not happening anymore. And one of the primary reasons why is everybody thinks Kerry Combs is staying around, but they actually want to see it. They actually want to see him actually stick around because that changes the very and that's a five star cornerback. So I'm guaranteeing you he's not the only one that thinks like that. And I think that's a, a very reasonable stance to take if you're a prospect out there. I want to know who my <laughs> coach is going to be as well. Although, again, if you're just making a commitment, uh, those uh, obviously uh, don't carry uh, the weight of, of, of certainty that, that we tr- sometimes make them out to be. So we're going to take another quick break there. We are going to come back and talk about 2023, who has signed on, including a or not signed on, who has committed, including a very recent one. And then what do we think the biggest needs of the class are going to be in the next dominoes that might fall? You're listening to Buckeye Talk. So reaching back to that in that last conversation we just had, I, I also want to make sure that I don't contradict myself because I've been somebody when it talks about like winning these battles. I was writing today again about the, the Justin Fry situation and how when I projected the 2023 too deep, I had put Zach Rice, who at the time was an uncommitted player, as the starting left tackle for Ohio State in 2023. And I don't look at not getting Zach Rice particularly as a failure. Like Zach Rice is his own individual. He has his own reasons for making the college decisions he makes. It's not as if um, Ohio State just didn't convince him well enough. I don't. I think that is not the way to look at recruiting. Um, it, it is different. I think sometimes it's an in-state guy and you can't convince him to stay, but sometimes that's because a guy really wants to be farther away from home. Everybody has their individual reasons for making those decisions. But I think the, the staff across the board, when you look at it and not getting any of those guys and at some positions, maybe those guys just weren't as available. That's where I think that it needs to be more of a, of a a collective win. Like you can't go probably multiple years in a row at Ohio State and expect to still be big time at the national level if you're only getting the best players from inside Ohio and not getting those somebody that is from that like marquee list from across the country. And um, and like we said, we've already seen Notre Dame come in and and grab one prospect. Uh, at least so far, is that they've got one um, committed for that class. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, I don't know what your perspective is on that, but it, again, it's not, to me, it's not so much about an individual battle, whether you want an individual battle, it, it's got to be more like the, the, the across the board, are you competing um, as a staff at the, at the highest level? And I feel like this year, that wasn't quite the same, even though that it's some of those uh, positions we talked about, and including some big ones, cornerback, defensive end, et cetera, they didn't have to go get that caliber of player either. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame has the number one class in the country right now. <laughs> and uh, Brendan Vernon is who you're referring to yeah. when you talk about, you know, top 100 kids from Ohio who, you know, Marcus Freeman poached. 
Um, to be fair, I think of the, the top 100 kids that who are under that list in the 2023 class, Sonny Styles at the time before he reclassified Luke yep. Montgomery, Josh Padilla, and Brendan Vernon. If of those four, the one that was probably most likely to head, if you had to rank them, Brendan Vernon would have probably been, you know, candidate number one to end up at Notre Dame and then Styles too, obviously, because his brother's over there as a wide receiver who looks ready to break out next season. But I just think the, the fit personality wise always seemed better at Notre Dame for Brendan Vernon. He goes to a Catholic school now, you know, in, in, in Ohio, Mendo High School. So it just always kind of made sense there. But yeah, to that point, it's the plan is simple here. You start off by locking down your state and getting all these. If you're a five-star or a top 100 recruit in Ohio, you lock that kid down. And then you quickly turn national. In 2020, they were able to do it, even though it was you know, they was trying to make shifts, guys who were already committed to Urban and trying to get his own guys. In 2021, they did it perfectly. They locked down all the Ohio guys, and then they went national. They started off 2022 doing it, and then things went a little left. And now we move on to 2023, where – it hasn't really worked that way yet. They've got the three commitments. The Ty Lockwood was first as a tight end out of Tennessee, the number 124 player in the country, the number nine tight end in the country, where it's like <laughs> the thing about this, this class so far is two of the three commitments where you're like, if you would have made a list of who you think in this class is going to be the first like three or four commits, I don't think they would have been on the list. I think they one Ty Lockwood would have been on the list of guys who would have committed to Ohio State. I don't think you would have said he would have been the first commitment, but hey, that things changed and he was the first one in the door. And then Josh Padilla came on next, number 126 player, the number six interior offensive lineman. This is a guy who could play guard and play center. There have been some Josh Myers comparisons in the past. I do think there's some development still that needs to happen, especially physically, but also he's 16 years old. And, you know, every 16 year old in the country has physical development to do. And so he'll continue to grow there. And then the most recent commit who committed literally during the Rose Bowl, he did it so deep into the Rose Bowl that you know, nobody on Ohio State staff was even on their phone to confirm the commitment for like another two and a half hours. You know, the number 226 player, the number 20 safety in the country out of uh, Cocoa, Coco, Florida. Uh, it's been like five or six years since Ohio State's got a commitment out of that high school. Um, bit of a shock that he pulled the trigger when he pulled the trigger, given that he's never been up here. And like, obviously, there are plans to camp here this summer and go through that entire process. Um, and so, like, of the three guys where it's like, yeah, he's committed, but keep an eye on him, I would say Cedric Hawkins would be on that list right now just because, one, how this all played out, but then also Ohio State's been down this road before of getting a guy from Florida to commit early who then doesn't make it to signing day, whether you want to talk about Jaheim Singletary or even talk about Jordan Battle, who literally was committed for almost a year and then flipped to Bama on signing day. Well, yeah, I mean, frankly, when you start talking to me, it's out-of-state guy out of nowhere commitment <laughs> that those, those are typically factors that tell me that that commitment doesn't make it to signing day. Um, should we be on alert about that with Cedric Hawkins? Yeah, I think the Jaheim Singletary lesson here is let's see how this kid is feeling after he's taken a visit. And I think that's how you should approach every national commitment because Travion Henderson was a national commit who committed without ever seeing the campus. And then he got on campus and it was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly where I want to be, even though it was like a self-guided visit where he couldn't actually go in the building and stuff. Like he got a chance to get around the commits and stay at Jack Sawyer's house and walk around Columbus. It's like, OK, cool. That's real. We can stop worrying about that. J.K. Dobbins, another guy who did that. And it wasn't until he got on campus. It's like, OK, cool. That's real. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Jaheim Singletary was the opposite way. He committed. 
I don't want to say out of nowhere, but it moved very quickly. And then he got here in June for an official visit. And then from the moment he left the campus, it's like, yeah, that's not going to last. So let's see this summer in June when Ohio State's having its flurry of official uh, official visits throughout the summer. Let's see where his head is at after that. And then I think we'll be able to get a better read on if this is going to last or not. So let's take kind of a, a broader look at 2023. Like you say, there's three commitments so far. When you look at what has to happen with this class, is there anything that jumps out to you as like this is um, the, the major need that has to get filled or maybe a couple of positions? Yeah, I think this has to be a big offensive line class in both numbers and quality. I'm not saying you have to go out there and get Caden Proctor, but I will say now that you have a different offensive line coach, I might go prod over there and see if like you, you can change the temperature because that was not going to happen with Stud as your offensive line coach at all. And there are a lot of things that we can't really get into right now for why that wasn't going to happen, but there, that was not handled the right way. And so it lost you Caden Proctor. Now that you've got a new offensive line coach, I would, I think that needs to be priority. Number one for him is going back out there to Southeast Polk and Des, Mo- Des Moines, Iowa, and seeing if you can change the temperature there. Cause that, I mean, there's your five-star tackle, but I think Luke Montgomery needs to be a Buckeye 100%. That needs to be at the top of his list of, you know, getting up there to Finley, Ohio and going to see that kid and making sure Clemson, cause that's, especially Clemson, that's real. They love Clemson. He and his family really love Clemson. He sees a lot of similarities between what Dabo Sweeney, the program he's running and the program Ryan Day is running. And they've said it to me, they have said it to me directly that they would feel comfortable sending their son down to Clemson. That's real. So you need to fight them off. Uh, Samson Okunla, uh, Peyton Kirtland, who seems like his, his momentum is headed towards Ohio State, has been trending in that direction for a long time. That, that starts there on the offensive line. This needs to be a large class number, but then also in level of talent and give yourself some options here and get back to what they had this past year where you did have a two deep full of guys who could have been your starting offensive line where you've been, a, you would have been okay with it. So it starts there. And then number two, I think there's a little bit of a gap here, but not a big one is corner. You, you did a really good job in 2021. He did okay in 2022, which means you once again have to swing big in 2023. That starts with, um, figuring out if Kerry Combs is going to be here or not so you can find out whether A.J. Harris is even a possibility anymore because I think as long as Kerry Combs is here, I think A.J. Harris comes to Ohio State. I just They really love him. Um, they loved it when they came up here the first time for a camp he and his family, and then they came back up again, I believe, for the Maryland game, and they loved it then too. So I genuinely believe that if Kerry Combs is here, they can pull that off. Then obviously Christian Gray is another guy who's at the top of their list, the number 145 player, number 15 corner. Those are two guys to keep an eye on. So I do think the recruiting as far as needs with positions that, you know, haven't necessarily hit the mark all that often in the last couple of cycles here, it starts with those two positions and then you move on from there. And maybe you know, safety obviously probably pops up next with guys like Caleb Down still in the mix, Elliot Washington still in the mix. Uh, it's those, I would say those three then, you know, it's, Offensive line one, cornerback two, safety three. Those are the three most positions, I think, in this class right now. It's especially with corner, the exercise you have to do is look at, you know, as good as you did in 2021. Sometimes that means you really have to hit in 2023 because those 2021 guys are about to be out the door. And those 2023 guys are maybe going to have to play big roles in 2024. Uh, I know we're throwing a lot of numbers on top of each other, but you know, Denzel Burke does not look like a guy who might still be here in 2024 at this point. And then when you've got Hancock and Jaquelin Johnson coming in behind, 
those are guys who you would think could, if they hit the right way in these next two years, also force their way uh, into the NFL earlier than, you know, uh, having to play a full four-year term here. And I was especially thinking about that at another position. You know, we were just talking about how defensive line for 2022 was solid, but you're about to lose, you would assume, if things go according to plan, right? If things go the way Ohio State probably hopes they go, JT Tuimaloao and Jack Sawyer are too good and have to leave after 2023. And maybe Tyleek Williams, too, considering the start that he got off to. That would seem to tell me that 2023 has to be pretty big for defensive line as well. And as you said, with Brendan Vernon already committing to Notre Dame, one of these sort of in-state fallback, I wouldn't even call it a fallback option. He's obviously a a very talented prospect that you're going to have to compete for. But that, that option isn't there. So where else are you possibly getting defensive line help? Yeah, I think it starts with Derek LeBlanc, number 84 players, number 13 defensive lineman. He came up here during the summer. I'm pretty sure he'll camp again this summer. Um, the momentum is there. It's not strong yet in a way that I don't – I'm not saying there's going to be a Derek LeBlanc commitment in the next week and a half here. But I do think that's a one that can pull off. Amari Washington, another guy at Chandler, Arizona, which is the same high school as uh, 2022 – signing Keon Gray's wide receiver, who I'm falling in love with more and more, especially after watching him in the Army All-American Bowl this weekend. Number 138 player, number 20 defensive lineman. Those are guys to keep an eye on. I do think this is a – they're really going national with this defensive line recruiting in 2023, and they kind of have to because there is – outside of Brennan Vernon, there aren't a lot of, you know, high-end defensive linemen and in, all, in your backyard this time around. There's not a Jack Sawyer or a Brennan Vernon. Another guy, Tamir Robinson, the number 131 player, the number 10 edge rusher. This guy it was a linebacker who is still growing, which is why he is now an edge rusher. Those are just some of the names to keep an eye on. Keith Sam, Sampson, the number 206 player, the number 30 defensive lineman who was steadily climbing in the rankings. A lot of these 2023 rankings are going to change a lot over the next six months here as these kids get out to different camps and different showcases here. And so it's almost, you're right, we are throwing a lot of numbers out here. It's almost not even, with these guys who are ranked anywhere from 150 to 300 right now, it's not even, it's really not even worth throwing out what their ranking is right now because there are guys who are ranked 40th who are going to drop to like 240th. And there are guys in the 300s who are going to rise up to like 80 just because there's a lot of physical growth that just happens between your sophomore year and your junior year and your senior year of high school. So, but these are just names to keep an eye on of guys that Ohio State is really high on and would, you know, love to commit at some point in the next year well and how much volatility is there still in this just because of the pandemic and how that threw off evaluation Mm -hmm. periods and stuff like are you still seeing that that is still something that's being ironed out that we maybe have less of an idea of this 2023 class than we normally would at this point yes because you got to think for a lot of these guys this might have been their first year playing varsity football, depending on what school they go to. That's a good point. And so this is like their first year of real film. And then also, yes, because of the global pandemic, some of these showcases didn't happen. And so they didn't get out here to get a chance to show their stuff. But then there's also the, there hasn't been room yet for the late bloomer. There hasn't been room yet for the Jackson Smith, the Jigba or, or the Keon Grays, you know, those guys who are like in the four hundreds when Ohio state gets their hands on them. And then the world gets a chance to find out about the CJ Strouds of the world, the Devin Browns who pop up near the end of things because we were in a global pandemic. So now you're going to see more of those guys. And so I did a way too early uh, projection of the 2023 class and I kept the numbers low simply because I wanted to leave room for 
the guy nobody knows about yet because Ohio State has made it routine to go find those players. But I do think now that a lot of these guys we know, but then there are some guys who are in the 500 to 400. So because we're coming off a pandemic, because this is the first year, a lot of these kids have played high school varsity football. There's still a lot of unknown about this 2023 class. And I think this is as, as long as we do what we're supposed to do in the real world, this 2023 class will probably be the last time we'll be able to use the excuse of, oh, we didn't know any better because we were in a global pandemic and getting, didn't get a chance to see people. Yeah, hopefully. I, I hope yeah. we, although we thought that last year too, and then the winter Fair. comes around and uh, things get messy again. So, well, hopefully we're, we are cycling through that finally. I want to talk about safety specifically before we get gone, because it's one that I keep bringing up. And they got Sonny Styles as obviously a big addition for this 2022 class. And it, he's going to be a guy who doesn't arrive till the fall and he's coming a year or I guess the summer and he's coming a, a year earlier than expected. So again, I, I think of him almost more of he won't be starting in 2023. Uh, I mean, as with, with his career, but not a guy whose impact for 2022 seems minimal. So you're, you're, you're looking at more down the line for him. But it, now that they're switching to, it seems like they've been in this limbo area as far as recruiting, where they say that they've been factoring in the bullet with their recruiting for the last couple of years, even before they started using the bullet. Although they now ended up using a guy at the bullet in Ronnie Hickman, who they didn't recruit as a bullet, but regardless, who was just recruited as a safety. But now that if they're under... Jim Knowles, you're assuming that they're going to a three safety look, which is essentially what they played this past year, more or less. Do you see or sense a change in recruiting as far as the numbers that they're going to cast out at safety or the kind of athlete that they're looking at? And does that start happening as early as 2023? Well, right now they've offered eight safeties and then they've offered five other athletes. And then if, by looking at it, there's probably only one of those guys who's classified as an athlete who would even fit the body type of a safety. And I'm not even sure he's going to play safety wherever he ends up anyway. So let, let's just focus on the eight safeties right now. I think the focus isn't on let's go find a bullet. Let's go. find. I think the focus is on let's find three safeties and let's see what their body types are. Let's see what their skill sets is. And then we'll get them all on campus together and tell them which of these positions, whether it's cover safety, whether it's bullet, whether it's the single high free safety, which of those three roles they fit into this defense. And they tried to do it this past year with Kai Stokes, Zion Branch and Xavier Wampa. The other two just decided they didn't want to come here, but the idea of Kai Stokes was going to be your cover safety. Uh, so he should be watching Lathan Ransom, Marcus Williamson, Cameron Martinez early in the season. The idea that Xavier Wampa was going to be your bullet. So at the time, hey, you should watch what, you know, Ronnie Hickman is doing because that's what we want you to do here. Zion Branch, you should watch Josh Proctor and Bryson Shaw because that's what we want you doing. That's how you almost have to put it. You can't go out there looking for the court Williams because there's not always going to be a linebacker who can do safety things or a safety who can do linebacker things. That's a very... I don't want to say it's a rare skill set, but it's it, there's a reason why Court Williams was valued the way he was, because you don't find that every single day. So I think what you can do is you can plan assigned three safeties and tell them exactly where they fit into these roles. And 
at the time before Sonny Styles did what he did, they were doing that in 2023. It's Caleb Downs looks like a guy who could probably play some cover safety for you. Sonny Styles is obviously your bullet. Elliot Washington looks like a guy who could play some cover safety for you. Jonel Aguero looks like a guy who can play some free safety for you. And on down the list, Cedric Hawkins is probably a cover safety. He's 5'11", 165. That looks like a guy who's supposed to be guarding slots. So that's almost a better way of looking for it rather than, you know, looking at a guy and seeing he's listed at 6'1", 210 pounds, and they're just going to make him a bullet. Yeah, and I, I just don't know if the 5'11", 165 safety is where this defense is headed. I feel like it's already what they were sort of trying to get away from if they could. I just don't know if they had the mm-hmm. athletes to do it this past year. I think the the Court Williams in the box and two other safeties up top makes more sense in the long run than it cover than a true what we used to call slot corner there but well, i guess time will tell on that and well, I, well body types you know I, I think it's i'm not i'm not saying that cedric hawkins is going to come here and start i agree with you i do think the best possible decision especially for 2022 if you want to tell guys who to watch is watch court williams watch ronnie hickman or watch josh proctor but you know I don't, if you get a a, a kj hamler I don't know if you want Court Williams covering KJ Hamler, you know, just because like that's a small little speedy slot guy. So if you can throw a wrinkle in there with, I'm not saying the small, you know, 5'11, 165 guys should start, but I do think it can be, it can help you with some matchup based situations, even if he's not your, your routine guy getting 65 snaps a game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying there. I, my larger point when I brought this up for 2023, though, was just that it seems like this is going to have to be a big, safety year just in numbers because you know you're going to lose josh proctor after 2022 you know you're going to lose marcus hooker who was on the roster this past year and i don't know what his future is but he could still be here another year and then tanner McAllister just came in as a grad transfer basically he's got one year of eligibility left so you're losing all three of those guys and then you'd have ronnie hickman who's a redshirt junior this coming year but if he has another really productive year would seem like a guy who could be heading to the nfl and then Bryson Shaw will be a redshirt junior and then Lathan Ransom now coming off an injury as a, a, a true junior. So you start to look at those numbers and you think that this is going to have to be a, a pretty big safety class. And yes, they already have a commitment in Cedric Hawkins, but as we discussed, a tenuous one. So I would think that this is going to have to be a big numbers wise class in terms of safety, maybe um, more at that position than than almost anywhere else. Although receiver seems to be one where they're always looking to get probably three per class. Yeah, I do think only getting Kai Stokes as your only safety in twenty twenty two makes. I mean, four well, Sunny Styles, Sunny Styles. Yeah, that's yeah, that does. Uh, so in a year, but in a year where you were supposed to get three plus the bonus of Sunny Styles getting here early. I think now maybe, I mean, you got two now, so you got one plus one. That's how, uh, that's a good way to call it. You got one plus one because the guy showed up early. Four and 2023 might be a good number to settle on. And uh, there, I think there are some pro people in the program who would agree if I went, you know, hey, you guys want four safeties in class. I think they would say, yeah. But that's probably a good number of four or maybe five, depending on, you know, you're right. Some decisions, whether it's from Ronnie Hickman this year, um, I would assume Josh Proctor is playing at the level he was at the beginning of the season and he's gone. Yeah. And I think that when we uh, talked to Ryan day a couple of weeks ago and he was laying out those numbers for Doug, I think they said 11 at safety. Does that sound right? Yes. So yes. that's what they are at for 2022 now with Tanner McAllister coming on. 
And that is where they would be down to, again, if Hickman were to leave after 2022, you'd be down to seven based on who we know of right now. So, yeah, I would think that that four, and depending on what, what other attrition happens, you may have to, to even shoot a little bit higher to round that class out. Anything else you want to talk about with 2023 before we sign off? I think we're in in a, a, a this is kind of a vague thing to say, but I think we're entering that point where keep an eye on guys over the next couple of months here, especially since, you know, Ohio state's going to be in winter workouts. And so like the coaches aren't going to be around the players are going to be doing recruiting while this team basically belongs to McBarati for the next month and a half here. And so I do think they start to keep an eye on guys, guys like Richard Young, you know, what does he want to do? How much longer does he want to wait around? Number 16 player, the top running back in the country, who as I've said on this pod plenty of times, their pitch to him is that you just see what Travion Henderson did. You can come do the same thing and you don't even have to do it a year earlier because you can just sit behind him for a year before you have to do it, which is a year less of you know, you know wear and tear on your body. So I do think we're entering that stage where I think it's time for a wave at some point in the next you know two months here. So I do I'm not going to throw any names out there other than Richard Young just because I think that one's interesting. And I think he's he's very zeroed in and who he wants. But I do think it's time for Ohio State's rec- commits coming waves, and they haven't really had a 2023 rave yet, wave yet. I think it might be time to start, you know, preparing for that. Yeah, I'd be careful with that Richard Young pitch if I were Ohio State. I don't. I'd be wary of the people that can pitch. Uh, oh, you, they want you to be their Trevion Henderson, except a year later, well, we want you to be our Trevion Henderson from day one, which Trevion Henderson was. Um, so that's something they'll have to deal with. But I, I, I think there's a way to make your pitch uh, around that. I. I I'm being a little bit facetious. So that'll wrap up what we're talking about today on BFF. We are going to have another Buckeye talk on Tuesday. I think we're going to go five for five this week. We'll see. We're going to try. Depends on some, some scheduling things. I'm going to be out of town later this week, but we're going to try to get five of them in for you as, as we're known for doing here for Stephen means I'm Nathan Baird. And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.